You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Hey everyone, uh, good morning. I'm back. You already know who I am from that earlier announcement. Um, That was Hey There, Delilah by the Plain White Tees. Funny story, Susie has a friend. Susie's, get this. Who knows the Plain White Tees, by the way? Who's old enough to remember that? That was like the song of the summer a while back. Um, Susie's cousin is friends with, or knew, she went to school with (laughs) Delilah. What? That's weird. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. You know what else is cool? Yes, but haircuts. <laughs> I got a haircut on Thursday. Woo! Thank That's you. Great. Thank you. And I got to tell you, I love getting a haircut. It always makes me feel better. I love the compliments. Thank you, David. I love how fresh and crisp the, you know, this part of your head feels after a haircut. And uh, I, I just feel refreshed, right? Who, who here loves getting a haircut? Yeah, give it up. They're the best. And, and have you noticed this as well? I, I've noticed this. And it's not 100%, but whenever a, a couple breaks up, one of them usually gets a haircut, right? It's just like, I got to cut off all this dead weight from my life, you know? And it's like, whoa, you look very different. Did something go wrong? Um, hair and, and cutting it or, or the lack of it, 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 it's something kind of shared across humanity, right? And our hair, it can really impact us. It can impact our confidence. It can impact our vivacity. It it can be a source of great joy. But also, our our hair can be a source of great pain. I've had good haircuts, and I've had bad haircuts. And you all have rejoiced with me and pitied me, depending on the result. Caring about what's on top of our heads is a nearly universal human emotion. And it's why the comb and brush industry is such a dominant force in our economy. (laughs) I took economics. Uh, And interestingly enough, the Bible, the Bible even talks about hair. Yeah. The canon of scripture is littered with instructions and guidelines for people's hair. God created hair. Did you ever think about that? He made those little follicles on your head. He cares about it. And during today's sermon, we're going to see hair play a pivotal role in the story of one man's life. This story is a tragedy, a familiar theme if you've been visiting with us the past three weeks. And this tragedy is tied up in the secrets of one man's hair and how its removal ultimately leads to the deaths of over 3,000 people. And we're going to hear about one of the most surprising ways that God liberates his people from the hands of their oppressors. If you've been visiting with us the past semester, you would know we are in the midst of a five-week series covering the book of Judges. And this book is from the Old Testament. That's to the left of your Bible. This book is a historical narrative and a true story from history telling of God's people, Israel, as they begin to live in the land he has given them. Three weeks ago, Pastor Nick told us that this book, it has an R rating, right? This isn't 
a Disney movie. <laughs> and it has lived up to it, right? We've seen murder. We've seen graphic warfare. We've seen lying, deceit. We saw a king killed by a strategically placed tent stake. This book is a graphic tragedy of God's people falling away from him as they go on a downward spiral. But it's also a place where God's mercy shines brightly. If you remember nothing from this series, remember this. God longs to be merciful to you in the chaos. God longs to be merciful to you in the chaos. In week one, Pastor Nick established the pattern of the book of Judges. Do you guys recall this pattern? Look at that. So what happens is Israel will forsake God. This will lead to them being oppressed by the surrounding people around them. They cry out to God. God hears them, has compassion on them, and saves them through a deliverer, a judge. Thus far, we've learned about three of the judges that God has used to deliver his people. And we've kind of gone all around the, the, the land of Israel. If you want to throw that map up there, PowerPoint. PowerPoint, give it for PowerPoint. So uh, week one, we learned about Ehud and the Moabites. Week two, we learned about Deborah and her trusty sidekick Barak as they battled the Canaanites up north near Hazor. Week three, last week, Alan taught us about Gideon versus the Midianites and his fleece. You guys remember that, that fleece? And this week, we're going to learn about a fourth judge, and his name is Samson. Samson is the final recorded judge in the book of Judges. And as we journey through his story, we will begin to see the bottom of the toilet bowl as the people of God continue their downward spiral out of control. Samson's tenure as a judge, it's going to break a lot of the norms we've seen thus far. And the pattern that Nick established is pretty much going to go right out the window. As we learned in small group this week, Samson's story occurs through chapters 13 through 16 of the book of Judges. And during small group, many of you looked at chapters 14 through 15 together. We did that at our small group, and we had a really interesting conversation. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 13, but then we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 16 as we look at the end of Samson's story. So let's start at chapter 13. If you want to turn your Bibles or flip in your app, we're just going to look at the the very first verse of chapter 13. And we're going to see the pattern being broken. And I want to see if you guys can spot it. Pop quiz. So listen. Judges 13.1 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. Who can see what's missing? You get 10 points of extra credit. Anybody? Nobody? Come on, pretend it's class. Yeah, Amy. Yeah, they didn't cry out for God. Give it for Amy. Israel's growing so accustomed to the status quo, and and, and we can surmise that they were fairly content living under Philistine rule. There's a really troubling moment you guys read uh, over the week in chapter 15 when the Israelites literally say to Samson, 
don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? They, they, they just accepted it. They were cool with it. There was nothing wrong in the eyes of the Israelites. They were content living under Philistine rule. So content that they never cried out. What does God do then in light of the pattern breaking? Does God abandon his people? Does God leave them to be fully absorbed in a Philistine culture? Yeah, never. No. Because even though the pattern changes, God does not change. Can I get an amen? God longs to be merciful to us, even when we forget about him. I would say God longs to be merciful to you, especially when you forget about him. God has a plan he's going to fulfill regardless of us. So our pattern breaks, but God stays faithful. And he raises up a deliverer, a judge, by the name of Samson. Samson is the only judge whose birth we get to hear about, and it's a familiar story. A barren woman is visited by an angel of the Lord, and she is told she will give birth to a son. The angel tells her this, he sa- or they say, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Do you guys see that? We get our first mention of hair. Pretty exciting, right? <laughs> Keep that in mind for later. That's going to be really, really important to Samson's story. As angels' promises tend to go, this promise came true, and the woman gave birth to a son, and she named him Samson. And Samson means man of the sun. Pretty cool name. And I, I love this. I love that the honor of naming one of the most famous judges in the book was given to a lady whose name was lost to the sands of time. She is a beautiful picture of faith and trust in Yahweh, and she's the closest we'll get to a hero in this tragic story. The author of Judges goes on to record that the Lord blessed Samson as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir, while, stir him while he lived in Mahanedan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtael. That's the hardest word I have to say today. I think I did it. All right. Now, real quick, I want to pause right here and do a quick shameless plug for our small groups. Who go, who, who's like smalls group? So every week, our church does this thing called small group, and they meet around campus. They meet in dorms. They meet in homes nearby. We get together, we study the Bible, and we grow in fellowship. If you've been visiting with us on Sundays, but you haven't attended a small group, I really, 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 really want to encourage you to visit one. Small groups, in a lot of ways, are the heartbeat of this ministry. And you can find one at our nifty website, alignalife.org. Why bring this up? Well, as I said earlier, at small group, we looked at chapters 14 and 15 together in depth. So now, really, for the rest of our time, we're going to be looking at chapter 16. But I do need to briefly touch on some of the things that we covered at small group. And I love lists, so I thought we would do that with the top five lists. Sound good? So these are the top five things you need to know about Samson. Okay, this is kind of just an overview of the dude. Number one, Samson was really into Philistine oppressors. 
So much so, he married one. Now, the Philistines, as we briefly mentioned earlier, they were the nation of people that God handed the Israelites over to. And Samson, uh, let me show you where Samson lived, if you want to throw that up. Okay, so um, Israel, their land is green, and then the Philistine land is beige. And do you see that little, like, peninsula that kind of juts out for the Philistia? You guys see that? Yes, Russell, we see it. Thank you. Um, Samson lived there. Now, can you imagine, like, Champaign-Urbana, like, that's like the quad. That's where the hippies of Urbana get together with the businessmen of Champaign, and we all kind of glare at each other and make eyes. And, and sometimes our people marry, but, you know, we don't like it when it happens. So that's where, I'm from Urbana, by the way, U-Town forever. Um, uh, this is where Samson lives. So you got to imagine that region, it was probably just this huge melting pot between Philistines and Israelites. So it's not that crazy that Samson would have been enamored with the culture and fallen in love with someone who was a Philistine. Nonetheless, it still wasn't a good idea. Samson marrying a Philistine would have been like Ehud marrying a Moabite, Deborah marrying a Canaanite, or Gideon marrying a Midianite. God's desire for his people would have been for them to have unity in who they worship. God wants his people to worship him and him alone. But when Samson would have married a Philistine, he most likely would have been pressured into worshiping other gods that weren't Yahweh, and he would have been breaking the Lord's commandment. And not just that, Samson was a leader of God's people, and he would have been setting a horrible example. But as we learned earlier, the Israelites, what had happened to them? They had become accepting of their Philistine rulers, and they were comfortable in their oppression. It's all gravy, baby. Samson marrying a Philistine shows the tragic consequence of a society growing numb to oppression. The second thing we need to know about Samson, he had long and glorious hair. As we learned in chapter 13, Samson was a Nazarite from birth. This meant that he had to abide by a certain way of living. And by doing this, he became someone who was set apart. And it really was an honor to be a Nazarite. By being a Nazarite, Samson committed to several things. He wouldn't drink alcohol derived from grapes. He wouldn't make contact with corpses. And he wouldn't cut the hair on his head. Now, if you're like, what? And, you, and you, maybe you need a visual. I like to think Samson kind of looked like Jason Momoa. Yeah. You know, like a bad boy with a heart of gold. This was the only picture of Jason Momoa with a shirt on, so. <laughs> now, Samson's glorious hair, this would have been a sign to the people that he was a Nazarite. He would have been admired, honored. And if you think about it, how much more confusing would it have been then that he married a Philistine? Not only was he an Israelite, he was a Nazarite. It was a mess. So bad taste, long hair. And this guy, Samson, the third thing you need to know, he was very strong. Now, many of you may already be familiar with Samson because what he represents has become a cultural metaphor. Now, how popular is Samson exactly? Well, get this. Samson has luggage named after him, right? 
I don't know many other Bible characters that can say that. You're not going to the airport with Jesus, I, you know, luggage. Or Paul, Paul stuff, baggage. <laughs> Maybe you have a Louis Vuitton bag, but he's not in the Bible. So the thing that's most notorious and most famous about Samson is how strong he was. He was strong enough to make it through an airport unscathed. He was able to kill a lion with his bare hands. He killed over a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And in a ludicrous feat of strength, he carries the gates of a town to the top of a hill just for fun. Samson was strong, right? He was a buff dude. He was Jason Momoa strong. But he was unaware that his strength was from the Lord. It was not from him. And this, this hubris will come back to haunt him. Number four, Samson was an impulsive man. Who here is impulsive? No, don't. Well, if you're impulsive, you'd be like, I am. <laughs> <laughs> this impulsiveness, I'm impulsive. Uh, this impulsiveness led him to do things like break his Nazarite vow, right? Do you guys remember in small group when he touched that dead lion? You're probably like, what? That, that was him failing a test and, and breaking his Nazarite vow. All to get some honey. Get honey from a tree like a normal person. Anyway, his impulsiveness also leads him to gamble and make these ridiculous wagers at drunken parties with his enemies. And his impulsiveness leads him to sleep with a prostitute, which put him in the danger of being captured. We only hear of this one instance, but it's not hard to speculate that this was a common practice for Samson. He was not a noble man. The last thing we need to know about Samson is he had a temper. And this temper had far-reaching consequences. It led to violence, to murder, and to innocent victims dying because of his lack of self-control. The most heartbreaking example of Samson's temper is when his Philistine wife and his father-in-law are burned alive by the Philistines in order to get revenge on Samson. He had impulsively burned their fields by setting loose 300 foxes with torches tied to their tails. And the victims of that weren't Samson. It was his his wife and his father-in-law. This is our judge. A strong man with beautiful hair, no self-control, and a fiery temper. What could possibly go wrong? So let's jump into chapter 16 and catch up with Samson. The story is going to take place a while after his encounter with the prostitute and a while after he ran up the hill with the town gate. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in chapter 16, verse 4. Once again, we're going to be in Judges chapter 16, verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. There she is. And he said, hey there, Delilah. Uh, You live in the Valley of Sorek, I hear. Uh, The rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with seven new bowstrings, 
that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson, as strong as luggage, he snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. All right, let's look at another map. So Samson is back near his hometown in, in the valley of Sorek, which again, we just have to remember, it's that proverbial mixing pot between Israel and Philistia. There he meets a woman named Delilah, and he falls hard for her. There's no mention of them being married, so we have to assume they were just living together. And we're never told outright if Delilah was a Philistine or an Israelite, and it's never made clear whether she was or was not a prostitute. We don't know much about her. All we know is that Samson was in love with her. We can also infer that Delilah was not in love with Samson. It was what we call a one-sided relationship. Delilah is presented an offer she can't refuse from the Philistine leaders to use her influence over Samson to learn the secrets of his strength. Her first attempt fails because Samson lies to her. And I think it would be safe to assume that this would be the end of the story, right? He would be like, hey, I think we should see other people. But it's Samson we're talking about, right? So the story will continue. Verse 10. Afterward, Delilah said to him, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please, tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, If I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and tied them up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before, and again Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. All right, let's pause here for a sec. We have to think that Samson might be messing with Delilah a little bit at this point, right? We know from 14 and 15, Samson likes riddles, and he loves annoying the Philistines, right? I I can't honestly think of any other reason why a sane person would continue in this relationship other than to continue indulging his own hubris and his own ego. Samson probably never doubted his strength. And I can imagine he enjoyed lying to Delilah at some point. It's really strange what's happening. But the tale continues. Verse 13. Then Delilah said, You've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, If you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah wove the seven braids of his hair into the fabric. Then she tightened it with the loom shuttle. Again, she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. The Samson woke up, pulled back the loom shuttle, and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. So a third time now, are you starting to feel exasperated? A third time now, Delilah tries to get Samson to tell her his secret. And a third time he lies. And at this point, I'm ready to throw my hands up in the air. And we can imagine Delilah's getting frustrated too. 1,100 pieces of silver is no small amount of money. And she was probably getting annoyed at his ruse. But she persists. And she keeps trying. Verse 15. Delilah pouted, How can you tell me I love you 
when you don't share your secrets with me. You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Both Samson and Delilah had grown tired of this little couple's game that they had been playing. And eventually the the truth comes out. In the Hebrew, the phrase, share his secret with her, is more accurately translated as, he told her everything of his heart. He bears his soul to her. And we can't forget, Samson had fallen in love. And even though he was playing this weird game, he had genuine feelings for her and trusted her. It's this moment of vulnerability that will end up being the beginning of the end for our hubristic judge, Samson. And listen to me on this point. We need to resist the urge of making our protagonist into a victim. There is only one person ultimately responsible for the tragedy that is about to ensue, and his name is Samson. Let's read. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me a secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with her, his head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. The dangerous game that Samson was playing... It ends up backfiring him, and there is a real and painful consequence for him. Not only did he lose his strength and his eyesight, but he lost, most importantly, the special anointing he had from the Lord. Samson was so caught up in himself, he was unable to realize that the Lord had left him. This part's important. Samson did not, and I I repeat, he did not have magical hair. His supernatural strength was from one source and one source only, the spirit of the living God. His flagrant disregard for God and the vows he made finally caught up with him as the Lord departed. And the Lord allows for Samson to fall into the hands of the Philistines. The story continues. But before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers held a great festival offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, Our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. That's a really heartbreaking passage because Samson's sin didn't just affect him. It ended up in the name of God being belittled and sullied. 
Praise and worship were given to a false god named Dagon instead of the one true God, Yahweh, because of Samson's foolishness. Verse 25, the, the story continues. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hand against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. And there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. And he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine ruler, rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I'm being honest, I, I felt uncomfortable a lot during this sermon series. The violence has felt senseless. The flagrant mistrust of God has been discouraging. And the repetitiveness of the cycle of disobedience has been really frustrating. Bible commentator Dale Davis summed it up well when he says, The church in general has a problem with the book of Judges. It is so earthy, so puzzling, so primitive, so violent. In a word, so strange that the church can scarcely stomach it. As with many Old Testament materials, the sentiment seems to be, if we just study the epistles long enough, maybe it'll go away. The church has her way of dealing with embarrassing scripture. Ignore it. And as I've been preparing to preach on Samson, I, I've honestly, I've spent a lot of time second-guessing our decision to do this. I've been sitting in my office thinking, well, why did we pick Judges. People aren't going to want to come back. This isn't applicable to 2020. And I've honestly, I've felt embarrassed at times and insecure as we've gone through these stories. But ironically, I, I had to look at the very epistles we tend to give our most attention to in order to be reminded of the reason why we've been investing so much time in this book. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy says, All Scripture, all Scripture, that includes Judges, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. At Alana Life, we don't just want to teach the Bible, right? We want to try and live it. And that's why we've chosen to dig deep in this very messy book. We believe it will be profitable to you. We believe that if you reflect on these stories and study them and, and examine them, that, that there will be something of great value that you can draw out and apply to your life. There is something profitable to be drawn out of this story of Samson. Dale Davis, again, that Bible commentator, he encourages us to approach judges theocentrically, 
Theos meaning God, centrically meaning centrically, right? (laughs) Our focus in Judges needs to be on God, not on the flawed humans, not on Samson. And that is especially true today because Samson is not a hero. Samson is a flawed and broken man that God uses despite his character flaws. Does that sound familiar to our lives in 2020? The cycle may have been broken by Israel, but again, if we maintain a theocentric focus, we see that God was still faithful to deliver them. And it was God who used a broken and blinded Samson to literally crush the nation of the Philistines as over 3,000 were killed, including their rulers. We would be hard-pressed to give Samson any glory for this victory. And in order to truly make sense of what's been happening, we have to go back to a short vignette you all read at small group with Samson's parents in chapter 14. This is back when he first wanted to marry that Philistine woman from Timnah. You may recall that as Samson asked his parents to marry this woman, they protested. And what what did they say to Samson? Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? The author of Judges reveals to the audience what is happening behind Samson's flawed desire. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. The Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. The Lord was at work this whole time, and years later, he uses this flawed and broken man who was a horrible judge of character to deliver his people. And not only that, but God was delivering a people that had forgotten him, a people that had forgotten to even cry out. In the same way, Christian, God will continue to deliver you even when you forget him. I truly believe this. He will continue to deliver you, especially when you forget him. That's been so true in my life. His love never runs out, never fails, never gives up on you. Now we maybe feel the temp- we, we Now we maybe feel tempted to judge Samson. We maybe feel tempted to judge the Israelites for forgetting to cry out to God. But I would caution us against judging them because I truly believe all of us, all of us in this room are vulnerable to becoming just as complacent as Israel and just as arrogant as Samson, especially when it comes to the things that oppress us. Now, in American Christianity, the things that oppress us aren't as overt as the Philistines or pagan idol worship of the ancient Near Eastern god Dagon, right? But the the things that oppress us, I would say, are nevertheless just as destructive. And we would be naive to say there aren't versions of American gods that we are all tempted to worship. So many of us, myself included, we worship at the altar of the god of money, the altar of the god of success, the God of beauty, the God of dating apps, the God of social media, and worse, the, the, the worst God of all, we worship at the altar of the God of self. 
Our smartphones, which are not inherently evil, hear me on that, they are not inherently evil. They become these tiny, glowing little altars to the God of self. And I know many of us, myself included, we struggle with this. And how many of us here can testify that the worship of these things, it leads to anxiety, depression, self-loathing, arrogance, hubris, wrath. We are not that different from Samson and the Israelites. But, but thanks be to God for Jesus, who is a better Samson, and who continues to save us even when we forget to call upon his name. It's Jesus that while we were still yet sinners, came to deliver us from our American gods. And he did this by dying for us. And not just dying, but rising from the dead three days later. Jesus is everything Samson wasn't. Jesus is faithful to his bride, the church. Jesus is the prince of peace. And get this, Jesus is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Every way that Samson failed, Jesus succeeds. So today, as we continue with our worship, let's turn our hearts to him as we reflect on this tragedy of Samson and relish in the victory of the risen Jesus from the grave. Would you all pray with me?